Okay, tonight we are beginning the book of Ruth. So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth, very near the front of your Bibles. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. If you're using a Bible under the seat in front of you, real easy, page 306. Beautiful story. Father, we ask your blessing this evening, tonight, upon your word. We thank you for the stories that are contained, the truth that we find lived out in people's lives and learning from what they did right and what they did wrong. Lord, thank you that you are the God of redemption. You redeem even out of the worst of circumstances. Bless our time in Jesus' name. Amen. So the book of Ruth tells the story of an everyday, ordinary Jewish family that lived some 3,000 years ago. A family just like the ones we have. A family that goes through all the seasons of life, the challenges, the difficulties, the joys, the blessings, the losses, the new beginnings. This family that we're going to be studying was not a perfect family. In fact, far from it. But the hand of God's providence was upon them. Working with them, walking with them through the various seasons in life, seeking to redeem. So you don't read of a whole lot of spectacular miracles in the book of Ruth. There's no crossing of the Red Sea. No raising of the dead, no manna from heaven. But there is the miracle of a God who knows the intimate details of a family and walks with them and seeks to redeem and do amazing things. So let's meet this family tonight and let's begin their story. Look at verse 1 of chapter 1. It says, Now it came to pass. In the days when the judges ruled, that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, the name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malan and Kilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to the country of Moab and remained there. So we have a family of four. Elimelech and Naomi are husband and wife. They have two sons named Malan and Kilion. They are Jewish. They are from the tribe of Judah. And they live in a very special city, the city of Bethlehem which would put them right about there in the promised land. Now, Bethlehem's a pretty 
special city. Anybody heard of Bethlehem? Many hundreds of years later, the Messiah, the Son of God, would be born in Bethlehem, as foretold by the prophets. So this is a normal family tied to the city of Bethlehem in a really wonderful way, as you're going to see as the book continues. Now, really important detail. Notice the era in which this family lived. It says, It came to pass in the days when the whom ruled. The judges ruled. So this was the period of the judges. This period began... Here's the bondage in Egypt for the nation of Israel. you got Moses and Joshua. Joshua leads them into the promised land. The nation of Israel's in the promised land. Joshua dies, and that kicks off this period called the Judges. And it will last for the next 350 years until the monarchy begins. The era of the Judges is one of the most darkest periods of history in the nation of Israel. It does tell the stories of 12 judges that were used significantly, the guys like Ehud and Shamgar and Deborah and Gideon and Samson. You've heard of some of those. But in that time, the leadership was sporadic, and it wasn't as high quality as it could be. Samson was a great guy, sort of, right? So... It was a dark period of time. In fact, if there was one verse to sum up the whole era of the judges, it would be the last verse in the book. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They had no authority They lived in wickedness, idolatry, darkness. It's an ugly, ugly period. In fact, over those 350 years, the nation of Israel repeated a cycle over and over and over again, at least 12 times. It would begin with them serving the Lord. Then they would fall into sin and idolatry. And we're talking gross sins and idolatry. God would judge them. He'd send a famine their way. Or they would be oppressed by foreign nations. Israel would cry out to the Lord, help! God would raise up a judge. This judge would be used by God to deliver Israel. And then they would serve the Lord until the judge died. And then they would go through that cycle Again and again and again. If you read through the book of Judges, it keeps getting worse and worse and worse. They go through the cycle 12 times. They keep going down, down, down. Until life in the era of the Judges was a deep, dark, depraved culture. People crawling around in the dark looking for answers and a pervasive wickedness 
In fact, the closing chapters of Judges tells one of the worst stories you'll ever hear. There was a Levite man in those days. And he lived up here in Ephraim. A Levite, that's a man of God, that could be a priest, right? He goes down from Ephraim and he goes to Bethlehem where he meets a harlot. And he begins to have relations with this harlot woman and she becomes his concubine. He takes her back home with him up to Ephraim. There they are a few weeks. And the concubine leaves him, goes back to Bethlehem. So this Levite goes to Bethlehem to find her. Finds her in her home. Goes in, meets her dad. Says, hey, I want my concubine back. They party together for a few nights. Then the Levite and the concubine leave and they return back to Ephraim. On the way up, they stop at this place called Gibeah, which is in the tribe of Benjamin. Gibeah has become a city that is completely perverted and twisted. So there's an older gentleman in the city of Gibeah who opens up his house for the Levite and his concubine. And that night, the house is surrounded by twisted, perverted, evil, violent men beating on the door. They're demanding that the Levite be sent out the house that they might gang rape him sexually and abuse him. The owner of the house says, we're not going to do that. But he says, why don't you take my virgin daughter or this man's concubine? And these men say, no, no way. We want the man. Well, eventually the concubine is sent outside. And she is abused over and over again by those animalistic, twisted men all night. In the morning, there she lies, dead on the front porch. Can't even imagine the horrors. So in the morning, the Levite gets up, discovers his concubine is dead. Takes her corpse puts it on his horse, takes her back home, takes out a knife and hacks her body up into 12 different pieces and sends one piece to each of the different 12 tribes of Israel. When this is found out, we're told in Judges chapter 19, no such deed has been done or seen from the day that the children of Israel came up from the land of Egypt until this day. Atrocities and perversion and violence acts were being committed on a level that had never been seen 
before. Utter darkness. By the way, that story should remind you of another story. You remember the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Two angels come. They're going to go destroy Sodom. Abraham, you know, tries to intercede. The angels, in fact, they go in and they stay with, at Lot's house. You remember this? And in that story, all of the men of the city are perverts. Violently sexual predators. They surround the house asking that the angels would be let out so that they could have sex with the angels. You remember that story. And Lot says, no, no, we can't do that. I do have two daughters. Would you like to have them? No, they say they want the angels. Well, of course, the angels struck all those men blind. And then they were able to go out. And, of course, Sodom and Gomorrah was completely destroyed. But do you realize that in the time of the judges, Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, Gibeah, had become that evil? That wicked. And so this family was living in that era. Verse 1 says... They also were in the days when the judges ruled, and there was a famine in the land. So this was probably in the judgment cycle of one of those cycles. God has sent a famine to their land. It's wiping out crops everywhere throughout the land, including Bethlehem. So now Eve, you know, uh, Elimelech and, and Naomi and Malan and Kilian, there they are and in this place, and starvation is threatening them. So what did they do? It says in verse 1, And he went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The end of verse 2 says, They went to the country of Moab and remained there. So what did they do? They packed up. They left their home. They left Bethlehem. They left the promised land. They left their community. Was that smart? No. It was an unwise decision. And they end up In Moab, 50 miles southwest of Bethlehem, they would have had to have gone around the Dead Sea. But they go and they, maybe Elimelech hears that there's food in Moab. They're not struggling with the famine. So they go and and they go to Moab. Now listen, the Moabites were the enemies of the Israelites. They were pagan, unbelieving People. They had given the Israelites lots of problems throughout their history. In fact, the origin for the Moabites is another really disgusting story in the Bible. You remember after Lot and the two daughters escape Sodom and Gomorrah? They stay in a cave for a while. 
And the two daughters think, oh, no, uh, this is the end of our family line. They get Lot drunk out of his mind and have sexual intercourse with their dad. The firstborn daughter gives birth to Moab. That's the Moabites. When the nation of Israel is trying to come into the land of promise after the exodus, it's the Moabites that stand in their way, that don't provide bread and water. Remember, it was the king of Moab, that king named Barak, who hires that false prophet named Balaam, you remember this story, to go and curse the nation of Israel. God thwarts that. So what they decide to do is send all of their seductive women into the tents of the men of Israel, and that succeeds. The men fall into sexual immorality with the Moabite women, and they're drawn into idolatry, and it's terrible, horrific judgment. In the book of Judges, the Moabites oppressed the nation of Israel for 18 years. Under a king by the name of Eglon, who is known as the most grotesquely obese king in all of history. The Midianites were not friends, they were enemies. And the law of Moses had said, this family would have known this, Deuteronomy 23 verse 3 says, An Ammonite or a Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord, even to the tenth generation. None of his descendants shall enter the assembly of the Lord forever. You're to have nothing to do with the Moabites. You're not to marry the Moabites. You stay away from the Moabites. In Psalm 108, the Lord calls Moab his wash pot. So Elimelech moved his family from the promised land to the wash pot. It was not a wise decision. Now, he probably thought that, you know, they just stay there for a little while. This, this would be a quick trip. It does say in verse 1, Judah went, this guy went to dwell in the country of Moab. That, that would mean he meant to go sojourn, just be there temporarily. But look what happens by the end of verse 2. They went to the country of Moab and remained there. They went with the desire first to get a hotel, but eventually they signed a lease. They bought a house. They lived in Moab. Well, how did that work out for them? Look at verse 3. Then Elimelech, Noah's, or Naomi's husband, died. And she was left and her two sons. So, They get to Moab, they establish themselves, and somewhere along the way, her husband dies. Naomi's now a widow in a foreign land with no community. She has two sons left. Verse 4, now they took, these sons took wives of the women of Moab. 
The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about how long? Ten years. So now the boys grow up and they meet and marry Moabite women, which was an absolute no-no. Mom and dad, be careful what you do with your kids. Be careful where you put them. Gets even worse. Verse 5. Then both Malan and Kilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. So now her husband's dead. Both sons are dead. Now she's in the most vulnerable position that a woman could be. She's a widow without any sons. In those days, believe me, I don't agree with it, but in those days, women did not own property. They didn't have the money. They didn't have the estate. The men were in charge of all that. And if you weren't attached to a man, you were vulnerable financially. Naomi is now vulnerable. With access to nothing in a foreign land. All she has are two Moabite daughters-in-law that have no obligation to stay with her. At the end of this, all that remained were three lonely widows and three Jewish graves in a heathen land. That's it. Horrific story. Now, was this God judging that family? Was this God judging them for leaving Moab and the boys getting to Moabite women? You know, Jewish tradition says that it is. God was judging them. He struck them dead for that. There are a lot of Bible commentators that I've read that say, yep, this is the result. This is God's judgment. I personally think that's too harsh. I think we're reading the story of a family who was scared, vulnerable, made some very unwise decisions, put themselves in a very dangerous position, and in a sense, reaping what they sowed. Because you never, ever leave the promised land. You never, ever disobey the Lord. That puts you in big, big problems. They should have stayed in Bethlehem. You say, but wait, there's a famine. The man is worried about his family. Listen, they should have trusted Lord, the Lord. You know what they should have done as a family? They should have been the family that would stand for the reform of the nation of Israel. And join with God's people and say, we need to stand up against this darkness. Be the family that was going to repent. God would have taken care of them, don't you think? God, the Bible shows that God is very creative in the way he can feed people. He could have taken care of that family. 
And even if, even if there was death, even if the family starved, maybe some members of the family died, at least you could die knowing that you obeyed the Lord and that you obeyed the Lord to your last breath. They were wrong to do it. They suffered for it. By the way, it's really, it, it, it's an amazing thing. The name Elimelech means God is my king. Naomi's name means pleasant. They lived in Bethlehem. Bethlehem means the house of bread. They're from the tribe of Judah. You know what Judah means? The house of praise. They're Ephrathites. You know what Ephrathites mean? Fruitful. They were in a place where God was their king. Things were pleasant or could be pleasant. In the house of bread and fruitfulness. But they went to Moab. Now the Bible does teach, and this is one of the things I love about God is he can do wonderful things out of terrible circumstances, can he? God can turn things that were meant for evil into good. God can do incredible things. And there is one wonderful bright spot in what we just read. And you know what that bright spot is? Ruth. Ruth. The Moabite woman. Yeah, they shouldn't, have, they shouldn't have had any relations with that. He should never have married Ruth. But God will use Ruth in a wonderful way. Ruth becomes used by God in redeeming the whole situation, the whole family. Ruth becomes the bright spot in Naomi's family. Ruth becomes the bright spot in the whole era of the judges. Folks, Ruth becomes a major bright spot in all of history as related to the program leading to the Messiah. So it's wonderful that God can take foolish decisions, foolish behavior, and redeem something from it. God can find that diamond in the rough. Now, my friends, um, I believe that this story and the background of this story should resonate with us deeply tonight. Because I believe that we live in an era like that of the judges. I believe we are living in some of the darkest days in all of human history. You know, I used to read these stories, like what happened in Gibeah and what happened in Sodom. And I used to shake my head and think, that can't be real. Could that really happen? Aggressive, militant, sexual perverts surrounding a house wanting to rape people inside? Is that possible? We're living in those days. We're living in those days. Perversion is running amok. It's becoming violent and aggressive. It's to the point where they're the good guys and the Christians are the bad guys. It is scary. 
Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes in the United States of America. There's no authority. There's no God. There's no king. It's dark. Could judgment come to the United States of America? Could famine come? Could a foreign enemy come? Most certainly. If God would judge his own people, his own nation, what makes you think he won't judge the United States of America if we turn our backs on him? And I fear, I fear for our country. There are atrocities being committed right now in our culture that we've never seen before. Ugliness that you can't even believe. Satanic, anti-God, dark, ugly things. You bet God could judge this country. I just pray that there's still enough of us left, don't you? Salt and light. But I want to ask you tonight, and I want to challenge you. What are you going to do in this dark day? Are you going to pack up and leave? Are you going to pack up your family and leave? Are you going to go hide yourself among the darkness? Go hang out with the uh, pagan non-believers? Try to hide yourself. Are you going to escape it? Try to run away? You know, a lot of Christians are doing that right now. A lot of Christians are afraid of being canceled. Losing their jobs because of a way that you believe. That used to never be a threat in the United States of America. People are losing their jobs for believing godly things. Are you willing? Or will you go hide? Will you go hang out with the Moabites? If terrible things start happening in this country out of the judgment of God, if the famines come, will you run? Will you go hang out in Moab? We are to be loyal to Jesus Christ and to his word, no matter what comes. Amen? We are to be loyal. No matter what the culture is doing, no matter what the attacks are, we're to be loyal. No matter what hardships come into our life or into our country, whether it be famine, terrorist threats, fear, whatever, we are to be loyal to Jesus Christ. Oswald Chambers said, beware of anything that competes with your loyalty to Jesus Christ. Beware of anything. And my brothers and sisters in Christ, listen, that means that we light up the darkness. You don't get lost in the darkness. You be a light. You shine for Jesus. You say what needs to be said. You stand for the truth. If you don't, 
there will be troubles for you, just like Elimelech, just like the family. Elimelech, rather than tightening his belt and hunkering down and learning to do more with less, trusting God to provide his needs, all lessons that would have benefited him had he learned them, instead, Elimelech bails. He takes off for greener grass. And this is exactly what happens when a single Christian gets lonely and gravitates back to the club scene. Or a Christian businessman fails to meet his quotas and takes a shortcut or a college student who's a Christian gets pressured to conform and compromises his standards. Or a Christian struggling with life leans back on the sinful crutches that used to prop him or her up. Whenever you violate God's known will for you, it is never a shortcut, ever. You've opted for a long and lethal detour. And that's it. And so it doesn't matter how hard it gets, how dark it gets, how even unbelievably crazy it gets. We're to stand in the light. We're to shine the light. And I believe that God is going to take care of us. Here's a beautiful verse. Please take this to heart. My brother, my sister in Christ, memorize this. This is God's heart towards you. For the Lord God is the sun and shield The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Do you believe that? You walk uprightly. You keep following the Lord. Remember this wonderful verse. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Gang, we live in difficult times. There's always going to be hard times. There's always going to be things that come into our lives. Don't don't leave the scene. Don't go home. Stay tight with your Lord. Stay close to Him. All of these things Even the hard things. God has a way of putting them all together and making them work for your good. Even like this sordid situation where they go to Moab, you wait and see what God does with Ruth. You wait and see what God does with that family. We can trust God for those things. You know, I love biscuits. Do you guys love biscuits? But imagine eating all the element of biscuits, all the elements of biscuits by themselves. A handful, a mouthful of flour, baking soda. How about a bunch of salt? Shortening? Milk by itself? Well, milk's pretty good by itself. But I'll tell you what, you take all of those elements, you mix them up. Then you get those hot biscuits and you put butter and jam on them. Mm. That's what God does with your life. All the details, all the issues, all the struggles. 
He is working for your good. And I would also highly encourage you, be the bright spot. Be the bright spot in your family. Be the bright spot in your work. Be the bright spot in your culture. Be Ruth. You're going to see a woman of God with faith like you've never seen. Be that. And I would also say, don't leave your community. Don't leave your community. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 through 25 says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much more as you see what? The day approaching. Gang, it's just a matter of time before it gets real ugly against the church in America. I promise you, it's coming. The Bible says that it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And as that day approaches, we need each other more and more and more. We need support. When the hammer comes down, don't go to Moab. Stay with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Encourage one another. Stay true. I need your example. I need your support. I need to watch how you follow Christ. Isn't it great how we can rub off on each other? And we need that. We're going to need that more and more and more. Let's pray for that. And in just a few moments, I want us to also pray together for next week. I want us to take a few moments in a group and just pray that God would do an amazing thing. That you would invite friends, even begin praying for people that you might want to invite. But let's pray over what we've just learned tonight. And then we'll have a final song together. Lord, give us courage. Give us strength. Give us the power to uh, live for you the way we should and shine for you in a dark world. Forgive us when we compromise. Lord, you have many wonderful things that you want to do in and through our lives. And it might be dark days, but I know there's people you want to save. I know there's people that you want to deliver and help and save. And you want to do so through our lives. So help us to shine. We don't want to hide. And we also don't want to come off as judgmental, uh, mean-spirited people. We want to deal with these complex issues with tact and wisdom. And above all, pointing people to you. Give us that ability, Lord. Help us. Maybe you're here this evening 
or listening online and you've been a part of that darkness, you've been in that darkness of this world, I mean, and you've gone overboard, ugly, and you think maybe there's no hope for you. There's hope. Jesus Christ can save your life. Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world to give us forgiveness and to give us a brand new start. That's what we remember at this point. We remember the Good Friday, his sacrifice on the cross and his resurrection. And he is alive and there's hope with him. He can wash you brand new, make you a brand new born again believer. If you've never received him, I want to invite you to receive him right now right now say Lord Jesus pull me out of darkness pull me out I'm in the wrong kingdom I'm living for the wrong things thank you for dying on the cross for me be my king be my Lord and help me to follow you and use me in a powerful way in my family and in my circle of friends and in this world Lord If you prayed to receive Christ, I want you to come share that with one of us after the service. But for the next five or ten minutes, I want you, as you feel comfortable, just get with a group about four or five. Four or five of your brothers, sisters in Christ. And let's pray. Let's pray for this season coming up next week. For the most film, for communion, Good Friday, for Sunday morning service. Let's pray for a harvest. Amen? Let's pray that people would come to know Christ. So let's do that for about five, ten minutes, and then we will have one final song.